Good evening and welcome to our evening service. Good to have you here this evening on this lovely evening. I was going to say afternoon, but it's evening, isn't it? And I see people joining us on Zoom as well. Welcome to those folks. We do welcome Mike and Maha Giz here with us this evening. It's been a number of years, but it's nice to see them. The last time, I guess they were alone, it was time before you had come with some of your family members, but uh, they're not little anymore, are they? (laughs) Anyway, we'll hear a little bit more about that uh, from Mike as he will come later. I'm going to ask Mike to come now and uh, read the scripture for this evening and lead us in prayer if you would, Mike. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at the first parables, the parables of Jesus, and then we're going to go down to the, his interpretation of his parable. Matthew chapter first 13, just to set the context, we'll read from verse 1, Matthew 13 verse 1, on the same day Jesus went out of the sea and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Uh, Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So if you want to move down to verse 18, verse 18, and hear the interpretation of the parable to his disciples. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. But he received the seed on stony places. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet when he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while, But when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives the seed on the good ground is he who understands the word, hears the word, and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts this evening. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your presence with us tonight. We thank you, O God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom we have to worship you and to gather together in this country. We just ask, O Lord, that we would just uh, have a greater uh, sense of your glory, your majesty, your power, and your might, and that hearts would be filled with joy love and praise and overwhelming desire, Lord, to live in a way that pleases you out of a heart filled with love because you have poured your love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and and by that we can actually live and serve you, Lord, by the power of the Spirit that has worked within us. We can have that fruit of the Spirit working through us that we can have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. 
all the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, working in our midst. And we just pray for everyone that is here tonight, Lord, that you would just uh, touch our hearts, each one of us in our uh, own special way that we need to hear it, Lord, and that we would um, leave this place, oh God, having been spoken to by the by our Savior, by our Master, Lord. And you are indeed the head of the church, Lord. You are the one who is leading on, O eternal King. You're one that leading us on as, as your church, as your people. We are your body. We pray, O Lord, that here in Sudbury, that you use your body right here, uh, Berean, uh, Lansing, and other churches, and the Zilda, that we would be your people that are proclaiming the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ, that the, the light of Christ will shine forth. And we pray that many souls will be drawn unto your name in this city, Lord. Drive back the forces of darkness as it's spreading so readily these days by people that are just fighting against the Christ and the word of God. And pray, O oh Lord, that we would stand strong and be bold and courageous and proclaim the name of Jesus in the midst of a world. Lord, that is fighting against you. Be with us this evening, Lord, and may your spirit just speak to our hearts. Be with myself as I'm preaching, Lord, that you would guide and direct your word for the glory of your name. We pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. As I said earlier, it's good to have Mike and Maha with us this evening. I was trying to think of going back in time. Uh, I remember, you remember the camp time, Green Camp. That's a few years back now. I'm just trying to figure out when that was. And we go, well, that closed in 1992, so it was before that time. So we've known of Mike and then uh, Maha as well later and their family for many years. And as a church, uh, we continue to uh, help out in a little bit. We can as uh, our missionaries out there working. And uh, we assure you that indeed our Thursday night prayer meetings and uh, even... Uh, more often than that, your names come up for prayer, and we remember you then and the work you do. I uh, asked uh, Mike if he would come now and just give an update. What's happening with him, uh, with the work, and the future, perhaps? It's good to be with you all, and it's uh, just a real expression of thanks and gratitude from our hearts for how many years of faithful support and prayers and love from all of you. And it's just so great to see so many faces that I know from, from the past, and I was thinking about the days that I was here working with Berean, I think it was 1986, something like that. And Bob Pinheiro was pastor at that time, and so some lovely experiences. I've just even witnessing in the community and working uh, with the um, Bible clubs. I remember in the summertime organizing these little Bible clubs, as well as camp. It was a great time. Um, this is our family here. Uh, they've grown up since... Uh, we were here years ago, and there's David, uh, the big guy in the back there, and next to him is Jad on the other side. And uh, on the bottom next to Maz is Joanna and Dana on the right. And uh, they're all uh, different places. A couple of them are out, uh, Jad and Joanna, uh, planting trees out in B.C. right now and running from forest fires. As trying, every time they end up planting trees, they have to stop and move to another location. They stop, move to another location. It's been really bad. So I don't think they made as much money as they wanted this year. You know, my other son is uh, Jed David is uh, he's uh, joined his life as a computer uh, video game tester. He loves computer games. That's a great way to spend his life right now. And he's actually working full time, and uh, he's in the joy of his life. I don't know where that's going to take him further, uh, but anyway, we're just blessed. And uh, my daughter Dana, we have a grandchild, and there's my Jed Joanna's out with Jed, but 
This is just my wider family, and that's down in the middle there with our um, grandchild. My, grand, my mother is actually 92. She's doing fantastic at 92, and we're just blessed by that. I have some siblings in the background there. Just, uh, we're always praying for, part of our ministry is always our families, too. The only one that's a believer in my family that's really a follower of Christ is my brother John, who's right behind there between my son Jad and my daughter Dana. And it's really great to have him as a brother-brother, I call him. You know, and, uh, and that's her little joy. A year and one month, her name is Inzora, my, uh, my daughter, her grand, first grandchild. And she brings absolutely joy into her lives. And if any of you have time later, Mom's got wonderful pictures of her, videos of her with laughter and everything. So pray for us as, uh, as grandparents. We're really we're talking today how we need to really have that spiritual influence to our children and to our grandchildren that are coming into the world. And wider families, we had a big family reunion last summer, and they come every summer, my relatives from England. And it's always a joy to be able to share the gospel with relatives that do not really know Christ as their Savior. And we're always taking those opportunities wherever we are to share Christ into their lives. My brother-in-law in the picture near the front there, the beige shirt, he's a doctor, and, and uh, it's his children. None of them really know Christ as their Savior, but we're always sharing our faith and praying that they will all, all come to knowledge of the Lord. When we came to Canada, before I came, I was teaching with Bob Pinero, you know, with uh, Cary Outreach Ministries, teaching theology, and I was in Egypt, and in, we were in Lebanon, and and part of my studies, I had to teach master's level, so I really felt the need to get on to do my doctor ministry, just to be a more developed in my theology and just in my be a higher skills, in other, other words, to teach a master's level. Finished that in 2017. And Maha also finished at the same year her Bachelor of Education and just two years, Master of Education. So in her young years, we're, there's no stop to studying, it seems, anyway. And uh, Maha's uh, used her skills as a, as a teacher to... Uh, we had a lot of Syrian and Somali, a lot of newcomers from 2000. We came to Canada. We were in Lebanon, for those who probably don't know us, we were in Lebanon for 20 years, and then 2015 we came back because our children were getting older and transitioning toward universities and worked among Muslim people. I know some of you, some faces, you not, do not know us from before. So our ministries were primarily among Muslim peoples in the Middle East. And, uh, and when the Syrian refugees came to Canada, that was like, Lord, you're sending them to us. You know, it was a golden opportunity. And Maha was in the schools, and there has opportunities. There's a Somali, and a, uh, not Somali, she's an African background, Sa'ir, and a Syrian lady. Well, I got privileges, I had opportunities to witness to her father. So I was translating for all the newcomers, about 30 families I translated for. So in town, we know a majority of the new Syrian families that are there just through teaching and through translations. So that was very providential, how the Lord sent us there. Maha teaches many kids and special needs. So here are the, uh, some, just going to go through pictures of, these are Syrian refugees that we work with. The guy in the middle there is with a friend of mine. Just excited to see these people and meet them. This is Fatty. Seven kids, most of them are seven or eight kids. And, uh, they're not homeschoolers, but, you know, they you know, have big families, most of them. And these are other families and uh, wonderful opportunities to witness into their lives and praying for fruit and uh, the grace of God. Part of their celebrations, like weddings. And uh, we also were involved with uh, sponsoring uh, families. With our church, we sponsored two families. This was one. 
are very conservative Muslims, and we witnessed to them many times, and uh, they have seven children, and uh, there's another family our church sponsor. We were very important for Ma and I because of our Arabic to help the churches because they can't speak English. We had to translate. We did a lot of translation work for these people coming to Canada. Another church, uh, this was called Christian Church in Charlottetown. The pastor's there on the, on, uh, our left, on the right side over there. And he wanted to bring Christian families. So we were able to be part of a sponsorship team of their churches and bring in a number of Christian families. Because the, through the government, we only saw Muslim families coming. And Christians were really suffering a lot, Christian families. And so our first family was the one in the middle there. There's a lady bending down, uh, Besma and her husband, uh, Joseph, from Iraq. And God, he just... Uh, Appeared to him and uh, Joseph become the dreamer uh, that ISIS was going to come down and uh, just kill them and destroy their homes, which he did, which they did. And he fled to Lebanon, came to know them in our church. And he's, the pastor said, can you give us a name of a family that we can sponsor? And I said, well, we have one. And Joseph and Beth's mother, four sons, have established themselves in Charlottetown. And he just finished, finished building his own house. He doesn't hardly, can hardly speak English. But he was able to build his own home. But we were involved in a lot. And Maha has to translate a lot for his wife as well, like medical things and stuff. Just another family we sponsored from Syria. They were pharmacists in Damascus, had everything lost, came to Charlottetown. They're doing well now. We started what was called the Arab Christian Community. And we gathered the Arab Christians together for a while, many that were sponsored recently with us, and had many meetings, children's meetings, camp, and... Uh, this has kind of fizzled after COVID, fizzled out a bit because in COVID a lot of people weren't attending, a lot of people had commitments, and we decided, Lord, was saying, it's time to move on and start focusing on ministering to people in homes. And anyway, our goal has always been toward Muslim communities more, but we really felt a need for Christians at that time. We also developed the uh, Facebook page, and it's really great. It's a real indoor. We put posts on there, and people from around the world are actually putting likes and putting messages and, and people we have to follow up. Just recently I got a message someone saying, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe he's the Son of God, which is a Muslim viewpoint. And so it's an opportunity to interact with people that way as well. Just last year I started teaching some English as a second language and uh, just gave me some wonderful opportunity among people from uh, Iranians, Ukrainians, Russians, Spanish people, Chinese, Vietnamese, and you won't be, it's a secular program, but I get opportunities to witness all the time to them. And one of my favorite stories was when one of them uh, said to me, I, I asked, talked about who is your hero in your culture. And Ali, which is this uh, tall guy there with the cap, he's this Iranian guy, and he said, you didn't tell us who your hero was. So I said, come back this afternoon, I'll tell you. And I started with my hero is Jesus Christ, and I present the whole gospel in about five minutes. I think. talk about his birth, his death, his life, his resurrection, uh, all the things he taught, his miracles, and how to believe in Jesus, how to have forgiveness of sins and eternal life, all in the shortest amount of time possible. And so it's always, every day I'm having opportunities to input. This was, uh, we gathered them all in their home last summer, and they want another gathering, bringing all their food together and having a wonderful time as families coming to PEI. And this was just recently, um, we had took them, I took them for a tour of Charlottetown, and that man in the purple jacket there, his name is Henry, we entered into this Catholic church, and uh, Henry, who's Chinese, stands in front of a statue. It's actually an angel, and he starts praying, crossing himself, and the other students were looking on, saying, he must be a Christian. 
So I walked at the door and said, Henry, are you Christian? He said, no, but I'm just trying to figure all this Christianity stuff out. And so I decided to give him a New Testament. And it's so funny, you know, because at school you're not supposed to evangelize, right? So it's like, it's like you know, this New Testament. <laughs> anyway, I gave him some tracts and stuff. And um, I came back to him a couple of weeks ago and I said, he'd been reading the Bible. And he said, yeah, but also I've been going to church. I said, that's great. And I said, uh, what's it like? Well, they all wear suits and ties. Well, and it wasn't Berean Baptist Church. And in our area, there not many Baptists wear ties anymore. So I looked and I said, was it Jehovah's Witnesses? And he said, yes. Oh, no, please. You know, and uh, don't go there. I said, anyway, so I really discouraged him with all my might not to attend the Jehovah's Witnesses. We invited him to church and his wife and his uh, children came. And we had a wonderful time just explaining the gospel to them. Pray for them because I think uh, this guy's very close to coming to faith in Christ, which is exciting. And uh, and what was nice after that event, I sat in a cafe just talking to him about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. And this is my English class. So um, wherever you are, you have opportunities to share your faith. This is just uh, visiting one-on-one with a reigning couple. Gave them a New Testament and shared the gospel into their lives. And I'm rocking uh, with a Lebanese family. She's, and just for, became friends with these people. Loving Muslims together. And the last time I was here, I talked about that we're trying to help mobilize churches across Canada and get people equipped. How can you share your faith with Muslims? And I would meet together and try to plan how we can do these things. But my role a lot was actually just going into churches and doing a program called Bridges, training people to know what Muslims believe and what they practice. How can you share your faith with Muslims? And so we are doing that in a number of churches in PI and Nova Scotia, and also New Brunswick. And this was one church where I was at, and uh, just about 35 people all want to know how to share your faith with Muslims. And it's exciting because Muslims came out to all our communities, and people from churches are actually building relationships and sharing the gospel and want to know more. And this was just uh, my thesis. When I did my doctoral thesis, it was basically on the Lebanese church's work among the Syrian Muslim refugees. And I put a conference on in Beirut, a conference in Canada, different places, how God was at work through the war in the Middle East and Syria, and how many Syrians came out, and there was a harvest. Uh, I went around to 14 ministries doing my thesis and discovered around 6,000 Muslims came to faith in Christ in a three-year period. And I was in Lebanon for uh, 20 years, and we only saw about a handful. So God seems to work in these times of catastrophes and war and people being disturbed and they came to the doors of the church and the churches reached out and many responded and it's exciting i'm uh i'll just go on to that a little bit later but maha skills she's created her own uh learning center leaps learning center teaching and coaching people Uh, she's also involved with a bit of pro-life along the way she's really concerned about social issues and uh here's the transition point so up until about a month or so ago, I was feeling like itchy that I'm not fulfilling my purpose as having a doctor of ministry and Maha having her master's education, and here we are, a little PI, and I'm not really using the fullness of my skills. So I talked to a fellow named Bashar Karkafi, and when I was in Lebanon from 2012 to 14, we were working with him. We were partnered together with his church. Now he's with the fellowship in Canada. He's part of a church planting uh, thing with, on the fellowship. You go to the website, you'll actually see his name there. And they are basically, uh, the goal is to plant churches, not only in Canada among newcomers, but all through the Arab world, uh, North Africa and the Middle East. It's called Feb, uh, Embassy to the Arab World. 
And so he asked me, this is uh, the t- task he asked me. He said, if you want to come back to Lebanon and come minister, I want you on the pastoral staff of the church, be preaching and teaching and stuff. Also teaching with Carrie Outreach Ministries, which he did before, and being involved in what's called um, uh, seeing church planting movements and discipleship makers planting discipleship-making churches in the MENA area, which is Middle East, North Africa, and beyond for God's glory. And this is just a quick overview of that. It's church planting movements and discipleship-making, leadership, theological training, humanitarian ministries, and a mission academy training these people for planting churches. So I'm doing a lot of preaching and stuff. So I'll be back with Carrie Outreach Ministries. This was in um, 2018 in Cairo. These are all pastors in Egypt. They're really great opportunity to preach in the teach uh, these pastors and help them be more equipped for ministry. And that was one of the schools I, in Lebanon. And we're looking actually for other countries, maybe even as well, to get into Sudan and maybe uh, uh, Iraq and Turkey and other places to have schools there. So this is uh, what's happened since but the last number of years. There's all sorts of church planters. There's, there's pictures of there are around 300 church planters and leaders. So my responsibility would be kind of shepherding over people that are planting churches or people that are discipling other new Christians in areas that all over the Middle East. And so on the right side, you see the picture of the Zoom, but this is a strategic team. And I'll be a part of that team with the Pastor Bashara. He goes back and forth from Canada. And we'll be enabling, equipping, and training people that are doing this work. It's fantastic because we never had that kind of thing before the war in Syria, and now there's all sorts of uh, works that are happening in the Middle East, and so it's a great joy for me to be a part of that ministry there, so it's kind of three aspects, and that was, Hope for Beirut was, um, you know, a ministry after the explosion, if you remember this a couple years ago, this explosion, that's a little, uh, there's no sound, thank God, on that thing, but that was that awful explosion, you can see on the right side the uh, destruction there that happened, but the church is on the ground, ministering to people in humanitarian, and also sharing the gospel and discipling people. Maha, in 2014, had a vision for the Syrian kids. Started Clementia Life Center, which is uh, for Syrian children, but for 16 children back then. Now it's up to 120, and they have a vocational ministry for the kids that are older now. So Maha's role, if we go back to Lebanon, and the goal is in January would be to train the leaders that are teaching these children. So this is just some of the... We were there in 2018, and this is just one of the events among Syrian children. And so she was teaching the... Uh, teach, these are all teachers from the church there. And uh, she's going to go back, and her job will be continually... She created the curriculum, but she'll be continually training these teachers. Uh, other aspect of her ministry would be uh, work with special needs and starting daycares. And it's interesting, we already established our top floor of our house to be like a daycare. And so when we heard that, we thought, well, we're already getting prepared for doing something in our own home. Even if we're not there, it'll be carried on by my daughters, probably or other people. And um, humanitarian needs. Uh, Lebanon is an economic disaster, and there's always people in need, and that's going to be one of the challenges for us there as we minister to people's lives. So pray for us. Uh, we are actually transitioning from the mission, from pioneers as a mission, to be sent by the fellowship as a mission. The reason is, is that the ministry is under the fellowship, and Pastor Bishara is uh, part of the fellowship Baptist in Canada, and and it's connected together. And they just felt that it'd be much more sort of being in the same family, you know, that loyalty, and being a part of the team kind of thing. And so it's a big transition for us, and uh, we're looking at almost 
pretty well almost accepted and looking at maybe September, September to be official. Uh, November invited to a conference where churches will meet with us together and hear about our work. Uh, Fellowship Baptist churches around Ontario. So that's this timetable. And God willing, if everything works according to schedule in January, we hope to be back in Lebanon. So we encourage your prayers for that. God bless you all. If you want to keep on Matthew chapter 13, and uh, I'm not going to be going so much into an in-depth exegesis of the passage as much as I want to uh, focus tonight on, because it's very familiar to a lot of people, but lessons that we can learn from the parable of the sower. So lessons that, what are lessons that we can learn from the passage, because it's quite a big passage, but I just want to focus on the practical side of it tonight. And... uh, Just uh, let's have a word of prayer and just ask God's blessing upon his word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you taught uh, to your disciples would teach us this evening and that you would bless this word to our hearts and and just uh, anoint your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And uh, let me just keep in front of me here so I have to read things. So just a, a summary of the first part. I'm just going to quick summary of the second part because it's well known to most of you. And you just see that was the, we have four seeds that have fallen onto ground. And uh, what is interesting, I don't know if I have a picture of it here or not, but um, if I have a picture. Yeah, in the Middle East, it's really quite interesting. Living in the Middle East, you see the reality of the seed sower. You live, we lived on terraces. And on the terraces, you have lots of thorn bushes and you have lots of rocks and you have the soil and... We lived along this up on the mountains of Lebanon, and you could see, we could see the reality of it as Jesus is telling this story. The seed is, he's just putting the seeds out there, and you can see how they're falling on different paths, like the ones that are falling on the path, are, yeah, the ones that are eaten up by the birds, and on the rocky ground they spring up immediately, then they wither away with the scorching sun. Some fall among the thorns, they grow up and they're choked, and then some fall on the good ground and produce fruit. And so the Lord, in his great graciousness to disciples, gives more clarity uh, to these passages, these parables. <coughs> Excuse me. The path is the people that don't understand the word. Uh, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. The rocky ground, they hear the word, receive it with joy, tribulation or persecution comes, and immediately it falls away. And the thorns, they hear the word, the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it doesn't bear fruit. In the good soil, they understand the word, and they bear fruit, some 30, 60, and 100 fold. And the first lesson I want to bring from, I just want to bring, I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to give you a deep interpretation of the parable, I think, but some very practical truths that come out of it. And the first one is, share the good news freely with everyone. It might seem very obvious, but it's not always obvious in reality, because the sower went out to sow, and he was scattering the seed. He wasn't like saying, I'm just going to find the, the little pieces of ground here that are good. He just scatters it, and wherever it falls, it falls, right? And so we sometimes like to pick and choose. I remember back in seminary years ago, we had all sorts of theories about you know church planting, and one was called the HU principle, homogeneous units. You should focus on particular people groups, or, or sometimes it's, uh, in part of that theory was you go to areas where people are really showing interest in the gospel, I used to call it go where the fish, and, fish are biting principle. 
And sometimes that's more exciting, right? Why go and work in an area where, you know, you take your line out and there's no fish biting. You go to the spot where all the fish are biting. That sounds very practical, but not necessarily what the Lord says. It's go and freely bring... And if you read the passages there, the sower went out to sow. The gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations, right? And Mark. And then he says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. So he doesn't just say specify which ones. In fact, what I found interesting is listening to old uh, thoughts by Spurgeon. He said, uh, if God put a yellow mark right on the back of all the elect, then all my job would be is pull up the backs of their shirts and to find which one of the elect and preach the gospel to them. But he didn't do that. But he said to preach to whosoever. And whosoever believes, you know that they're the elect. So he's very uh, clever in his way of explaining things, Spurgeon. And I think this is the reality, is that we do not know whose hearts the Lord's opening. And often, even work with Muslims, the Christians in the Middle East don't like Muslims. Even when I was working on my thesis, I asked the churches, do you have a strategy? Did you have a goal? Were you reached out to Muslims? And they weren't. In fact, many don't like it because they lived in a very oppressive environment from Islam. So they didn't like, even though the gospel says to every creature, they weren't going to every creature. And so we can easily pick and choose. And sometimes we, we look at people and we say, well, they won't believe in the gospel and they won't be interested. It's not our task. Saul, I mean, how many people would have thought Saul would have believed in the Lord? You know, stay away from him. You know, but the Lord knows who's are, who, those who are his, right? And we're, our job is to proclaim the gospel liberally, freely, without any distinction about what people are and who they are. And so it could be any kind of culture situation, maybe even here in Sudbury, maybe people that you know, and you go, that guy will never come to faith. We don't know that. Freely bring the gospel to all. Uh, expect different responses uh, to the message of the gospel, right? The path, you have the rocky ground, the thorns, the good soil. So everybody responds, right, in a different way to the gospel. And I think this is something that we really need to be encouraged when we're actually sharing. Don't expect that everyone's going to be the same. When I was, I remember years ago witnessing churches even in Canada, some people were very open and wanted to listen. And another person, I gave him a track and he just took it and he just crumbled it up and he threw it at my feet and, you're going to get people that are opposing you. You're going to get all sorts of maybe opposition, indifference, right, to the gospel. Some people just goes over their head and it's like they never heard before. But we have to expect there's always going to be different responses and some good, some bad, and uh, just have to be faithful to bring the gospel out there despite the... And you know what? Uh, it seems like the majority are negative. And actually only one of the, of the, is the good soil. So three of the four are going to be bad experiences, right? So expect more bad experiences than good ones. <laughs> and I think in my understanding of the parable, I believe, the, I know some people interpret it differently, I believe the good soil is the one who believes and brings fruit, fruit unto the Lord. And sometimes you could try to apply it to Christians, but I don't believe because I don't think this first three are applied. I believe the good soil is the one that does respond, brings, bears fruit to the Lord in different measures. Thirdly, remember you're battling the powers of darkness. You know, sometimes forget that. This is a spiritual battle. The evil one comes. First, then here's the word. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. I know if you know witnessing the people, it just seems like, you know, they're just not catching. You can explain the gospel as clearly as you can in plain black one, one, two, three, four, five, and it just goes right over their heads. They don't even hear anything. 
We have to remember it is a spiritual battle. And I love the passage in 2 Corinthians 4. If our gospel is veiled, there's just, you know, there's a cover over people's faces. It's veiled only to those who are perishing. In the case of the God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They can't see it. People are blinded. And I think it's where we really need to pray that the Lord would break down the you know, demonic barriers. Really, there is a satanic demonic barrier. Satan does not want people to believe in the gospel. But the power of the Lord can transfer us, Paul said, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. It's, it's, it's power of God. Only the power of God can save. And we really need to re- realize that this is a enemies. I remember uh, walking the streets of Toronto witnessing years ago and I was looking at the Jehovah Witnesses and people like that and feeling like these all these people are talking to others. And I realized the difference with us, they don't have the power of God. We have the Lord, we have the Spirit, we have God moving us and guiding us. So it's not, we're not just speaking words. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to those who believe, right? And I think we need, really need to be encouraged by that. Fourthly, not all who profess faith will continue in the faith. Now, you've been in the church many years, Real. How many people have come and have gone and don't see them anymore? Have you got many stories? I think you do. I, had, I know many people. We had a Bible study in, uh, in, uh, the, among the Druze people. We had over a dozen people. They would be singing praises to the Lord, praying to the blood of Jesus, and thanking Jesus for his forgiveness and salvation. And when tribulation and persecution arose, account of the word, they fell away. Uh, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches choked the word and it proved unfruitful. I've seen a lot of that. I've had friends that really said like Jesus spoke to me. He was the way, the truth, and the life, and he loved Jesus. But I think it was the, seed, the deceitfulness of riches drew, drew him away and got more concerned about his business and his career and saw little of him. In fact, one fellow, his name is Mahmoud, I taught him theology. Maha loved Mahmoud, but he was really an interesting fellow from a Sunni Muslim background, right? Syrian. And he was in my theology classes for carry outreach ministry. He was studying the word and excited about it. He got, came to Ottawa and uh, I tried to introduce him to some churches and it just was nothing happened. Nothing happened. I went to Ottawa. We saw him in person and he said, I just can't do this anymore. I said, why? Well, my wife, she, she will divorce me. My relatives will disown me. I just, this is, it's too difficult to live the Christian life. Here is a fellow who really professed faith in the Lord, but the pressures were too much for him. He didn't want to lose his wife, his kids, his family. Um, have you ever read the story from Nabil Qureshi? Seeking Allah and finding Jesus. And he knew all the truths of the gospel, but he said, that wasn't the issue. The issue, I was going to lose my family. That was the harder challenge. But the true believer will continue on in the faith. But the ones that are not really those who are the Lord's, Lord knows them that are his, and they will persevere. Uh, that's one of the signs of true faith. It's a persevering faith. We will, in spite of the difficulties, they continue on. And I think that's what we see in the Bible. Fifthly, we cannot always expect to see fruit. And those who do will produce it in different measures. Like the seed among the thorns, it actually said it proved unfruitful. They actually didn't show fruit. And I think, you know, Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit, right? 
And so some people I've seen, and you've probably seen come to church, they even pray, and part of prayer meetings, and they see, but there's no change in their lives. There's, they seem to be still the same people in their workplace, and the way they talk, and the way they act, and, and uh, you realize that it really wasn't in solid, good ground, good soil that brought true life. And the good soil bears fruit, some 100, some 60, some 30. I love the passage in John 15. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that remains, fruit that remains. You know, unlike the ones of the thorns, it's actually really there's, it's unfruitful. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. It's the Lord, by his Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit is called, right? He brings the fruit into our lives as we bow the knee to Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts. We become those fruitful believers that really love Jesus, love his word, uh, we're transformed lives, we love to share the gospel with others, God's at work within us, transforming us. But some are more than others, right? Sometimes you feel, I'm not really doing very much. Maybe I'm just doing my little part, I'm praying for people around me, maybe I barely witness to anybody. Uh, And I'm not like that other guy over there, whatever he's doing, seems to be doing great things. But remember, we're all bearing fruit. And we can't compare ourselves. God will give the measures to people, some to bear 100, some 60, some 30. But we all will hear the voice of the Lord, well done. He's not going to say, you only did 30%. You know, you didn't get 100% in your exams. <laughs> but the Lord will honor and bless each of his children as they bear fruit. According to as the Lord, he's the one that gives us the gifts and he gives us the, the ability to serve him, right? And so I think we just have to Praise the Lord for what little I can do, whether it's small or whether it's big. Sixth, do not be discouraged when people don't respond, they don't grow, or they turn away. It's very easy to be discouraged. And I can, I can be, if anyone wants to be discouraged, I can be discouraged. We have done a lot of uh, seed sowing you know, in the Middle East and seen a lot of people make professions of faith and people fall away and people not really showing fruit. And working with uh, one of the uh, modern philosophies of mission is that you have to find the man of peace. Have you ever heard this one? The story of Matthew. This is, they use this in missions. You go out into some village. You want to pray the Lord leads you to this man of peace. It's mentioned in John 10 as he sent his disciples out. I don't think it's a mission principle, but they make it into a mission principle. So when you find that person, you teach them, you disciple them, they become a believer, and through him you get a pathway to create a church and disciple, discipleship people in that culture. So one person came up to me and he said, did you find the man of peace? I said, yeah, I found him and I lost him. You know, <laughs> so there was, I must be discouraged by spent years working in people's lives to see that at the end, they actually really, they turned out to be like the thorns or the rocky ground and they never really bore fruit. And it can be very discouraging. And sometimes you say, say Lord, Am I doing something wrong? Why am I not seeing enough fruit? Why am I not seeing enough people responding to the gospel? And you begin to judge yourself and examine yourself and pull guilt trips upon yourself, but you have to come back and say, Lord, am I being faithful uh, to what you've asked me to do? And that's the task of the seesaw. And I remember years ago, if anybody, I just think that's passage, if anybody felt like a failure, it must have been Jesus, Right? After he told them about eating his flesh and uh, remember that and drinking his blood, uh, many of his disciples quit following him and did not accompany him any longer. So Jesus said to the twelve, "You don't want to go away too, do you?" Simon Peter answered, "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life." In John six, 
And I think, you know, here's Jesus. If Jesus can't seem to keep all the followers, where, where, where are we? <laughs> but the Lord knows those who are his, that, like the disciples, and kept on and trusted him and, uh, and carried the word of God forth. So don't be discouraged, and you don't always see fruit happening. And lastly, persevere and be faithful in sowing good, the good news. Remember, only God makes things grow. It's God who brings the harvest. It's God who is the one who is the Lord of the harvest. Right? He said, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth labors into his harvest field. Who brings the harvest? The Lord does. And, uh, and as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 68, I planted, Paul watered, Paul is watered, but God gave the growth. I think it's very important for us to remember God that gives the growth. He gives the increase. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages, what? According to his labor. So the calling for us is to be faithful. God has called us to bear witness to his name, to make his name known, and leave the fruit into his hands, and the salvation into his hands. And we will all stand before the Lord, whether we have been faithful or not to what God has called us to do. And I think that's what we need to remember. I remember years ago, I was witnessing, I was getting very frustrated and saying, we're not seeing a lot of fruit. And opened up this passage in John 4, and Jesus was talking about those who plant the seeds and those who actually harvest, they rejoice together. And I realized, even though I don't see the harvest, there's joy in planting the seeds. I don't know if any of our farmer, any farmers here, is there joy in planting the seeds? <laughs> There is. And, you know, you wait and sometimes it takes a while for the harvest. But just in serving the Lord and being faithful to service, there is joy because you're doing it for the Savior. You're doing it for the Master. And so remember that it doesn't matter whether there's fruit or there's not fruit. There is joy in being the seed sowers. So this was, uh, Jesus was actually the first sower. His disciples were the sowers, but we are all sowers in our own way because of, the good news is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the Lord who came to save us from our sin and give us eternal life. If we repent and believe in his name, we will have eternal life in relationship with God. It doesn't take a, a theological degree to be witnesses to the Lord and to make his name known to people around us and leave the results in the hands of the Lord. So I just encourage you in the end just to press on here in Sudbury. Sow the seeds of the good news of Jesus Christ in the community here. Pray that the Lord will bring fruit and harvest in his time. Just to sum up some of just the things, share the good news freely with everybody. Let many people, some people, they just throw the fishing rod out, right? And they just get it one fish at a time. Sometimes like, the disciples put the big net out. Sometimes the big net is better than the, than the one little fishing rod, right? So be as liberal as you can. Expect different responses to the message. You know, the people respond different ways. Remember, you're battling the powers of darkness. Satan is at work. And yet the Lord said, I will build my church. What did he say? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We have a victorious Savior, victorious church. Even though sometimes it seems dark, the Lord is victorious. We have to keep our eyes on, on our Lord. Not all who profess faith will continue in the faith. We'll see that all the time. Can all always expect to see fruit, and those who do will produce it in different measures, so don't be discouraged when people don't respond, grow, or turn away. And persevere and be faithful in sowing the good news. 
Remember, only God makes things grow. Let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, uh, we just thank you, Lord Jesus, for these words that you have given us uh, to your disciples, and we are your disciples today. We just ask, Lord, that you would give us that desire, Lord, to freely spread the good news, Lord, of your salvation to all people around us, Lord, whoever is in our sphere, whoever you give us responsibility to share with. And we pray, O oh God, that you help us not to grow weary or be discouraged, but to be faithful knowing that, Lord, you bring the harvest in your time and your way. Bless uh, Brian Baptist Church, each person that is here. May they, Lord, continue to be that lighthouse here in Sudbury and that you would continue to bless the service of the Lord and those each person who has been a light in their communities that many would come to Christ through them. And we just pray, Lord, that you'd receive all the honor and the glory because it's your church that is being built and we're just your faithful servants. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you.